0: Every once in a while one of the songs of the month uh, just really grips me um, and kind of becomes a battle cry for the month at least uh, and I must say uh, this song of the month, Ancient of Days I've been playing it, you know I'll walk over to the keyboard or if I'm working in the office I'll come in here and just play it and sing it I've done that several times because I just feel like the message really <laughs> hits where we're at right now. You know, though the nations rage. well, right now, the United States of America is raging. Um, many things. And yet, God's throne shall remain. We have a king who has an unshakable kingdom, an unshakable throne. And he will build his church. On the gates of El Let's go now in a word of prayer and put our hope, yet again, in our faithful king. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your rule and your reign. That you rule and reign from heaven over the hearts of millions, even billions of men and women, who have surrendered their lives in allegiance to your throne. From every people and tribe and tongue and language, you are building a kingdom of priests to serve you for eternity in the new creation that you will bring. When you come and fulfill your promise, behold, I am making all things new. When you roll back the veil that is over all peoples, the shroud of death, when you defeat the dragon, the embodiment of all that is evil forever. Father, we look forward to that day. We long for that day. I pray that you would help us, as your people, to live our lives here with the hope of heaven, the hope of life with you as the energizing force that drives us. With love in our veins, I pray that we would move boldly into the unknown of the future. Though we may not know what the future brings, we will watch and pray for our Savior King. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray right now that you would show up as we look at your word, that you would do a mighty work in each of our hearts. And I ask that you would help us to be transformed by the power that made the universe, into people who live and love like you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And as I promised two weeks ago, um, we are going to do a deeper dive into verses 4 to 8. Deeper dive, and these verses should be really familiar to you because they've been our verses of the month, our memory verses for the past two months. So we're going to dive deep together into these. First Corinthians thirteen, four to eight. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, or as we'll see in a little bit, there's a translation difference here. And I think most translations say always, or love never gives up. So instead of protects, love never gives up. It it endures. It bears all things. I think that's actually the correct way of reading it. That's the normal way Paul um, uses the word here. So, um, again, love protects. That's true. But I I think some of you may already have a different translation that you're reading from. Um, But I think it's love bears all things. or love endures. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. This love that we've been talking about, just read about, in the verses that we memorized, is what God is aiming to create in the hearts of each one of you and of me. <clears throat> Not just now, for all eternity. And so, here, the main idea of our time this morning, of this passage, is that as Christian, God is calling us to love just as we have been loved by Him. So, we'll work our way slowly now through each description. First, love is patience. The heart of what this word patience means. Is summed up in the old fashioned phrase long suffering. It means that love is willing to work and pray and speak and labor and suffer long in loving others, even though it hurts. Love is long suffering, patient. One place in the New Testament that we get a little Glimpse further into what this means is in Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Paul tells a different church, the Thessalonians. Here he's writing to Corinthians. He wrote lots of letters. And, and this is to the Thessalonian church, the church in Thessalonica. He says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the, the disheartened discouraged help the weak be patient with them all with everyone so there's three groups of people that Paul is talking to the Thessalonians about, three different three people that are stuck in different struggles. There's the but all of them need patience. So the Lord Jesus, Paul says, would have you be patient with idle, lazy people who are quick to quit and slow to help others in need. Be patient in showing love and kindness to people who don't have eyes to see where help is needed and don't jump up to serve others. Be patient, but warn them lovingly about the dangers of laziness and selfishness and slothfulness of his patient long-suffering by persisting in warning the idol exhorting them for the long haul and love is patient with those who are disheartened and discouraged in Thessalonians 5 love is long-suffering it sticks with the discouraged for the long haul drawing strength and hope for them from the Lord himself. And love is patient with the weak. It helps the weak. Serves the weak. Praise for those who are in weakness. Love is patient, remembering how God loves you even when you are feeling weak, when you are feeling powerless or afraid or uncertain. Of what to do. God's love is unchanged for you. His love is patient. He loves and loves for the long haul. Even on the day that you are totally weak. About to die. No strength in you. And then you pass away in complete weakness. God's love will endure by raising you from the grave. Resurrection power one day. God's love is patient, it bears with you for the long haul. And God's love is kind, and so love is kind. In Paul's letter to a young pastor named Titus, he wrote this Titus 3 verses 4 to 5, he says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. So, God's kindness and love appears. There it is, Jesus. And He saves us, not because we did a bunch of good things. Oh, boy. Things are really looking up for them. I think I'll pick them and save them. No, but because of his mercy, man, they need help. You save people who need saving because they can't save themselves. We serve a God whose heart is filled with kindness and love towards sinners. Kindness is a generous movement of of love and affection and care in our hearts that compels us, moves us to do good to someone else regardless of how worthy or unworthy we perceive them to be. Kindness chooses to do good to people with our words and our actions and our behaviors. Kindness is not just simply being nice to people in a fakey-fake way to avoid conflict or to get people to just like us. No, kindness treats others with goodness, whether we feel they deserve it or not. Even a firm rebuke to someone can be an act of kindness. Kind people don't let others continue down destructive paths just because they're just too nice to say something. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Kindness is not just being nuts, no. A kind parent is willing to shout boldly, stop, to his child who's running into the road. Now, a heart of kindness doesn't automatically happen, especially kindness towards people who are hard to be kind to. It's not natural I should say, it's natural to be nice to people who are nice to you. It's supernatural to love your enemies with kindness. Let's listen to how Jesus talks about this, right? We worship Jesus here. Jesus says some pretty crazy things in Matthew. Matthew chapter 6, he says, You have heard what it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. How? Patience, kindness, goodness. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus did this on the cross. Father, forgive them as they're murdering him. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, well, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? If if that's just how it works, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Even the most evil people and crooked people in society, you know, if you hook a brother up, he'll hook you up back, right? Like, you, you do nice, I'll be nice you're not nice, then I won't be nice. Right? That's how the world works. Do not even pagans be nice to people who are nice to them? Be perfect, therefore, he says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So here, love is kind because God's kind. Think about all the failures you've had in your life. All your shoulda, woulda, coulda moments, even from this past week. The things you know you should have done or said and you failed to do them or say them. Or all the things you knew that you should not have done and you did anyway. The dishonesty, the hurtful words to people, failures to be there for others and to show up. And yet you woke up today and you breathed oxygen from God. And you enjoyed the sunshine from God and countless other kindnesses from God that we could go on and on and name. God is kind. And the crowning jewel of all of God's kindnesses to us is the Lord Jesus. And the older we get, the more opportunities we have to experience God's kindness in our lives. And to share it with others, there is something that is so beautiful to me, and you know what it is—an elderly person who overflows with kindness. There are very few, actually, I tend to get crotchety and cynical with age. But one way that we can in this is by dwelling deep on the kindness of God towards us oh Lord may I be an elderly man someday who just continues to exude kindness because I can't believe that God has been kind to me I want to be that person It is. (laughs) By the mercy of Jesus there's hope. And yes, there is forgiveness for unkind elderly people, right? There's forgiveness for cynicism. I'm not saying we just guilt ourselves, but there is hope. The deeper we soak our hearts in the kindness of God to us, the deeper we grow in gratitude to all His mercies, the more that we are on the lookout For his love in our lives at work. The more we will become what God wants us to be for eternity. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Envy despises others for what they have, but I don't. Love does not envy because love doesn't look at others and say, How dare they have that? I'm more worthy for that than they are. That's not fair. I work harder than them. I'm smarter than them. And yet they've got what I want. Envy only views the world through the lens of justice and fairness and karma. It's unable to rejoice when others get something I feel I'm over. And so tragically, envy mourns when others rejoice. And gloats over those who are crying and mourning about losing something you wish you had. Well, serves you right. You didn't deserve it anyway. When I'm envious of someone else, it's because... I feel I'm worthy of what they have and that God himself on his throne is unfair and unjust and unloving and unkind in not giving me the thing that they have and I want. Envy is giving God the finger. Here's an example. As you guys probably know. I have a lot of fun trying to find and hunt the biggest white-tailed bucks that live in public land in our area. I've got one spot, that I've got on camera a huge 10-point buck. Some of you have seen the videos, right? Okay. Man, I'd love to get that thing, okay? Over the last two years, you might call me crazy, right? That's okay. But I've logged 70 miles of hiking, trying to find this thing over about seven trips. Morning trips. All right, just this past Friday, Landon and I had a long planned adventure, probably the last one this summer. We put 14 and a half hours, 15 and a half miles hiking, trying to find the thing. We got cameras all over the mountain range. We're excited about this deer. We're we're crazy. All right, I'd love to see Landon get it. I'd love to get, I'd love to just even see it. Now imagine if on opening day, Big Bob goes walking up in there or whatever his name is, has a step foot in the woods. Never met the guy. This is his first time in the woods in five years. Has no idea where he is. Doesn't even know if there's a deer there. And he's just walking down the main trail. And let's say Mr. Big Ten Point made a really dumb move, and Bob, Big Bob gets him. OK. What, what does Envy want to do in that moment? Five <laughs> Yeah. I think Envy would want to say, I'm coming down the trail because I hear the shot, right? Who's out of here? And here's this guy just freaking out. He hadn't shot a deer in years, and he's never put any work into it. He's like, what a gift! And what does any want to say? That's I deserve that. I worked for that. I that's that's my deer, right? Well, that's so silly, really, if you think about it. Now, if you know anything about hunters, and I'm sure there's other sports like that. They can be so petty about these types of things. My dear. You know what? It's God's dear. And He chose it to give it to that guy. Right? It's God's world, it's God's mountain. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Envy is truly evil. And the only way to fight it is to really meditate deeply on the sovereignty and the Control of God over all things, including which big deer ends up in somebody's freezer. We want to have a heart as Christians that is so in love with the grace and mercy of God that we actually
1: rejoice
0: when people receive free things that they didn't work for. Why? Because you and I, did you work to be born? That was your parents, your mom, mostly, worked for you to be born. And it was God's plan for you to be born. You didn't even work for your physical life and the gift of life. And everything we've received, what do you have that you do not receive? I have strength. You received it. I have food. Well, I work for it. Well, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's ultimately God's food. And on and on we could go. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it sounds the death knell for envy. Imagine a culture, a church culture, where we were absolutely pumped when people received kindness and goodness that they didn't deserve, didn't work for, and didn't earn. Imagine what a world like that would be. When people receive free stuff, we celebrate with them, whether we receive it or not. You want to know what that world is? That's heaven right, where goodness is celebrated, where gifts and free, unearned love is celebrated. It's called grace. Love does not envy. Lord, help us with envy. May we celebrate your work. Love does not boast and it is not proud. It's not a loving thing to call attention to how great you are. Because marveling at your own greatness and at your glory, it's not what's best for other people or for you. We were not made for mirrors. We were not made to be worshipped. We were made to call others to worship and adore our Creator. Boasting says, here I am. See how awesome I am? Worship me. Revere me. Marvel At my accomplishments. See how godly I am? See what a great daddy I am? See what an awesome pastor I am? See how good of a worker I am? What an awesome work ethic I am. See what a great hunter I am? I work my tail off chasing those big deer. Whatever We can try to take pride and boast in so many things. We must be careful here let the words and actions of Jesus and all the writings of the apostles who represented him shape the way that we think about this topic and about boasting. Because there actually is a way to call attention to yourself that is not wrong. The apostle Paul, for example, does this all the time. 2 Corinthians is like full of it. To say, look at me Look at what God has done for me. That is a way of boasting that puts the focus on your God and not on you. Look at what God has done in my life. Can you believe it? me? He did it for me. He's amazing. It really all comes down to the motives of our heart when we're talking about our accomplishments or about the things we've done i know sometimes i've gotten this right in my life and sometimes i know that i have not social media is where this can get really tricky for myself me to navigate when we share information about our lives or pictures online that end up painting us in a really good light that's it doesn't have to be immoral inherently but what it comes down to is our motives. Why are we doing it? Are we after the praise of man, likes, hearts, shares? What What are we after? Or are we just sharing a turkey picture? Uh, you know, me, I post turkey pictures of harvests. Look at me, I'm an awesome turkey hunter. Is that the motive? Maybe it has been at times. I, I don't know. I, but as I search, it's like, or it could be. I'm just trying to share part of my life. Look, we had fun in the woods. Um, share your pictures, connect with other people, develop relationships with people who like similar interests, connect to others. There is a way to share a success story online that connects you to other people, encourages other people to get out there, to try it. It was fun, you can do it too. We caught a fish, here are us, what, whatever it is. you know, so there, there can it's a, I guess my point is, motives of the heart are tricky to navigate, and we might not always get it right. And I don't know that I always have. I'm still processing. But there are ways to share success stories that encourages and inspires other people to grow in their lives. Right? God has helped me. Grow in this way, and you can too. God help me do this. Praise the Lord. He can help you. There's also a way to share things that's boastful and leads others to look up to you in unhealthy ways, or share information about yourself that makes others feel like I can never be that, I can never do that, I'll never be as good as them. Love does not boast; it is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Other translations might have, love is not rude. In other words, love respects the humanity and dignity of all humans. It doesn't trample over them or shame them. Even when humans do shameful things, love is able to honor their dignity as human beings even as it works to address and confront dishonorable actions and to hold people accountable. So, for example, some of you might have friends who are corrections officers. I know I I have a couple friends who work in corrections. Every day, correction officers deal with human beings who have done unspeakably evil things. It can become extremely tempting to view prisoners as inhuman scum, garbage, refuse of society, as worthless. The opposite extreme, the one that's often pressed in our political um, in the political realm is to view prisoners as poor, helpless victims of the unjust systems of society. To view them as not really responsible for their evil actions. They're not being punished for murder. They're being rehabilitated. It's all about... You know, and they weren't really... They're not really bad people. They just were influenced by bad structures in society. This view does not dignify their humanity either. Treating them like they're not really responsible for their evil actions. No love is able to honor even the most shriveled, twisted sinner by treating them as human and as deeply and desperately in need of true repentance from their sins and of the rescuing love of God. I want to encourage you, Christians, be wary be careful of the voices that you listen to, especially in the political realm, whether conservative or liberal, or in the religious realm. Be careful what tones people are using that are regularly shaping your heart and shaping how you view other human beings. I'll just give you a little example. There's a political commentator, Ben Shapiro. I used to listen to him a lot. I tend to agree with Ben Shapiro on a lot of things. But over time, the way that he was starting to talk about human beings as garbage humans, he uses that word a lot. He's just a garbage human being. That was affecting the way that I was feeling, stoking anger and even hatred in my heart towards human beings And I did not like what that was doing to me. Some of you may have more thick skins towards that, but it was just not a good thing for me. And so I I decided, (coughs) as much as I've been helped by some of this, I'm just not going to go there. I felt like it was particularly dangerous for me because I agreed with it. I feel like the the stuff that I don't agree with, that's easier for me to just tune that out. Um, But, yeah. It's almost like a Trojan horse which can get into your mind and affect the way you think towards others. That was how it works for me. Love does not dishonor others, but holds them accountable and treats them as humans. Love is not self-seeking. Love gives and gives with no strings attached. Love does not treat others kindly simply because it seeks to be seen and noticed by them back. No, love is not seeking its own. Love seeks to pour out itself for others, for their good, and love delights to do so. And we can really only love that way if we have a limitless source of life and strength and love to draw from. You're going to run out of power of love. And that limitless source of love that enables you to love without expecting anything back is the love of God himself. Sometimes you might show someone love and kindness and they just throw it back in your face. How do you keep loving in that instance and not get furious? It's only if you don't need their love and gratitude to keep loving them. The more needy we are when we try to love other people, the, the more we'll love others, the more we love others as a way to meet our own emotional needs, the more that we When our needs for love and acceptance and joy are being met by our relationship with God, it frees us to love with limitless love. With His love. Now, I want to make it clear here, it's not wrong to seek your own joy in loving people and loving God. That's not what Paul means here when he says love is not self-seeking. Some people who talk about love, they, they would maybe argue that an action is only a loving action if you get absolutely nothing out of it. So, for example, imagine um, if I spontaneously buy Holly some flowers and bring them home for her, uh, it's like, it almost be, and this sounds silly, but it's like, I'm giving you flowers and it's just for me. I get nothing out of it. No enjoyment, no happiness in seeing your face light up. That's not my motives at all. It's just, I need to get you flowers because that's loving. It's the right thing to do. No, that's not. No, I get you flowers. I give you a gift because I love you and it delights me to see you smile. Love seeks to take joy in bringing others joy. That is our reward. Love says It is good for me to labor for your good. Love remembers the words of the Lord Jesus. It is blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. Love is not self-seeking. And love is not easily angered. This is a huge one. Anger is an emotional response to what we perceive as evil. I'll say it again. Anger is an emotional response or reaction, to what we perceive as wrong, evil, bad, good, not not good, dangerous. Now, it is right to be angry about real evil. It is right to be angry about evil that is really evil. But here's where human anger runs into all sorts of problems. There can be a huge difference between what is really actually evil in God's eyes and what we're angry at because it just bugs us and we want it to go away. For example, a liar perceives the truth as evil to him because the truth will reveal who he really is. So a liar gets angry at people who tell the truth. And he'll do whatever it takes to silence them. Anger is an emotional response that leads to actions. And it is a response to what we perceive as evil around us. But, like I just said, even good things like the truth can be perceived as evil if they become a threat to us. As humans, our sense of good and evil is often deeply flawed and twisted by a desire for what's comfortable for us or what keeps us safe. That's why being quick to anger (coughs) is not part of love. Godly anger, to be angry in a way that honors God, takes time. It takes wisdom. Everyone gets angry. It is what we do with our anger that defines whether we're loving like God or not. Does our anger lead us to move towards real evil in the way that God would have us? Or does our anger at what we think is wrong lead us to make hasty, quick decisions about what we say or do? God's anger is never like that. It's never hasty, quick decisions. Hot off the collar. He is slow to anger because he is wise. Speedy angry is reactionary. Speedy anger is usually done without thinking. It doesn't pause and think. Maybe this thing I'm angry at is not actually really evil. Maybe it just bothers me. Maybe I'm lashing out at the kids for being noisy And it's just, it's not because I'm actually genuinely concerned that it's evil for them to be noisy. It's just because I'm tired and it bugs me. Right? Maybe my anger towards this inanimate object, like my car, the car is not evil. The car is just a hunk of atoms stuck together. From the periodic table. Why are you angry at the car? It's not a moral object. But we are. And when it bugs us, we might even get as mad as to hit with a two-by-four, right? Hot-tempered anger leads us to do stupid things. Like punch a wall. What did the wall do? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Anger is stupid. Crazy And leads us to do crazy things. But anger in and of itself is not wrong. It's the twisting of anger to define good and evil incorrectly. So that's why slur to anger, take a walk, take time, think, pray, and then ask, what is the most loving way to address this evil that I'm angry about? With truth and love, we overcome evil with good. Just as God overcomes evil with the cross of the Son of God, Jesus. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrong. The person filled with God's love remembers how God continues to love us, even when we do wrong after wrong after wrong. God is not sitting in heaven right now. Hear me, Christian. God is not up in heaven right now, sitting in the throne room with a scale in his hands, and there's the good things on one side, and there's the bad things on the other side, and boy, oh boy, you know, Ben Beckler, the bad things are, you you better buckle up this week, bud. No, God is not doing that. We as humans may do that, God keeps no record of wrongs. God has freely forgiven us for all our wrongs through Jesus Christ. So long as we have asked his forgiveness for our sins. And just because we don't keep a record of people's sins, it does not mean that it's loving to give, let's say, a, a pedophile, a second or third or fourth chance around small children. Oh, we don't keep records of wrong around here. Sure, you can serve a nursery. No. Sin has consequences. But it does mean that love forgives and releases. The bent of love is towards releasing sinners of their sins as we have been released by God from our sins. Love doesn't keep bringing up the sins of others and rubbing them in their faces Love does not keep a record of wrongs that someone has done as a way to determine whether or not they're worthy of ongoing love and more. And love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Evil aims at the twisting and perversion and the destruction of everything that God calls good. What is evil? It's everything that God is not. Did God create evil? No. Evil exists because God does. Darkness exists because light does, right? It's the opposite. All evil aims at cutting humans off from God and his plans and purposes and ways. And to be cut off from God is death itself. The ultimate aim of evil is to kill us all, to condemn us to life apart from God in eternity. Called hell. The aim of the darkness is to separate you from the light. The aim of the lie is to separate you from the truth. The aim of evil is to separate you from the goodness and love of God himself. And so it is not loving to take joy in what is evil, or to celebrate evil, or promote evil. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. When we kindly communicate truth to someone about God's laws for human flourishing, it is not bigoted, it is not hateful, it is loving if it is true. And it is not loving to promote, to celebrate, and to approve of what God and his wisdom has forbidden those are fighting words in our society in this day and age it is loving to tell people that is not God's way there is a better way that is love to say you are not free to do that that is loving It is loving when I tell my son or daughter, you are not free to run in the road. Don't do that. You have to have a category for that. For love that says no. Love rejoices with the truth. We believe that the truth is freedom. Now for verses 7 to 8. I really like the way the New Living Translation translates it. I read this. Love never gives up. So instead of love protects, it's, it's love bears all things. That's literally what it means. And people debate what that means. I think it means love bears with people, never gives up on people for the long haul. Love never loses faith. So always trust. All, you know, it's always a trusting love. It doesn't lose faith. It's always hopeful and it endures. Through every circumstance. Paul is saying, Love is not willing to give up on people, but bears with people over the long haul. Love tries not to burn bridges with people, but to leave an open door for reconciliation. Paul's words to the Colossian church are really similar to this. He says, Bear with each other, Colossians 3.13 and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So why do we put up with people for the long haul? Because God forgives us and puts up with us for the long haul. And the NIV that we've memorized says love always trusts. The word trust and the word faith are the same word and the The NLT has love never loses faith. I like that because I think the word faith here helps us see this is faith in God that's being talked about, not just trust for some person. Paul's not saying that love always trusts people no matter what. That's not smart. I trust everybody. Yeah. That's dumb. It's not loving to trust an untrustworthy person. It might, it wouldn't be loving for me to trust my daughter Esther with a chainsaw, right? (laughs) love always trusts. (laughs) No. (laughs) You ever heard somebody say, they see somebody do something great and say, well, my faith was suddenly restored in humanity. (laughs) Yeah, no. Don't trust humanity. Read history. Usually... People say something, yeah, okay, so so what Paul means is not to love is blindly trust people, okay? Love, what love always trust means, love always seeks to trust our trustworthy God. Loving the way that we're called to love, it takes a mighty trust in God, a miraculous trust. We can trust that loving this way is worth it. And that he will hold us and sustain us and keep us even when we face rejection. Love trusts in God and doesn't lose faith in him even when everyone around us can't be trusted. And love always hopes. Or as the NLT says, love is always hopeful. When you look at someone and you give up all hope for them... What it really means is we've stopped believing in the power of God to intervene in their life for their good. Love doesn't lose hope. Yes, love is realistic. Love is not naive. Love is not blind or stupid. But love always hopes in the sovereignty of God. Don't give up on people. Yes, you may reach a point where there is nothing more that you can really do for someone. Or say to someone, it's all been done and said. And you just need to pull back physically. But prayer, what prayer is, is hope for someone in action. We can always pray for them. And because love always seeks to trust God with people and hope in God that He's at work in people, love always perseveres with people. The NLT reads, Love can endures through every circumstance love is relentless just like our god is relentless in his pursuit of sinful humans loving people like god like he calls us to love is like running an ultra marathon with people right and yet we don't run it alone or in our own strength god is with us He's for us. His spirit is in us. And his love for us never fails. It never falters. Now, in this life, this vision of love that we've just looked at, it will never be perfectly reached. Okay? Now, in, you know we know in part, and we will know Fully as we are fully known. We'll be talking about that a little bit next week. When perfection comes, the imperfect disappears, says Paul. We haven't reached perfection yet. But one day, this vision of love, that will be the the, the air we breathe in the new creation. And I long for that day. A love that is always kind towards other people, always patient, always persevering, although in the new creation, we're not going to have to bear with others' sins. And yet, God does that for us every day. So let's let's pray now together, and I just want to ask that God would stir this type of love more and more in our hearts, that we would be known by our Christ-like love for each other. Lord, I thank you for your word which addresses us which confronts us lord i know that it has confronted me this week and it is confronting all of us with our with our lack of love lord and our need to grow i pray lord that you would grow us and shape us to be more like christ to love as we have been loved please lord just grip our hearts with awe at how you have shed your love into our lives. I pray that you would make us like your son. Be with us now as we go to the bread and the cup together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.